0: Hello and welcome to the Busyness Podcast. My name is Emily Austin. I'm the founder and CEO of a London-based PR agency called Emerge. I'm passionate about launching and scaling small businesses and have been fortunate enough in my 13-year career to work with some of the most exciting, category-defining brands in the world. I started my business when I was 22 years old, fresh out of university. Since that time, the world has got louder our expectations have become greater, and our lives have become busier. Fobbing friends off with the stop answer we've all become accustomed to, I'm so busy, is an attempt to compel, conflate, and convince. But when did being too busy become a mark of status? Why is the goal to never have any free time? And just what the fuck is everyone doing? Are we setting unrealistic expectations for future entrepreneurs and business owners by encouraging them that a maniacal approach to diarising is the standard? This podcast aims to give you a realistic, detailed insight into the honest stories, the failures, the triumphs, the intricacies, the mistakes, the comebacks, the fuck-ups from those set to make their mark, the leaders, movers and shakers, trailblazers, and game changers. We cover imposter syndrome, hiring and firing, call out culture, anxiety, global growth, daily routines, and knowing when to quit. Choosing the best in the busyness to help you cut through the noise and optimize your success. This week on the podcast, I have the pleasure of chatting to Chris Sheldrick, who's the co-founder and CEO of a business called What3Words. Many of the companies that I work with have a very specific audience when they launch. Chris, on the other hand, decided that the entire world would be his audience. and We talked a lot about the challenges of how to target those people when you have such broad remit we talked about fundraising as well Chris explained that there's no written playbook he actually hadn't had experience of fundraising previously so anyone looking to raise capital that's a very interesting insight we talked about having three co-founders so there's four of them in total and how they all work together and generally we talked about the future of the business and what chris is trying to achieve it is honestly such a fascinating idea and i really hope that you are inspired by chris's journey but also hugely excited by what the business is going to achieve certainly in the next five to ten years To kick straight off, can you tell me who you are, what your business is, and what problem the business is solving?
1: Sure. So, uh, hi, I'm Chris. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of What3Words. We wanted to make a global address system. So we divided the world into three meter squares, and we name each one with a random sequence of three words from the dictionary, uh, like table, chair, spoon, so that we can very easily talk about everywhere.
0: What were you doing before that? Because that seems like quite an unusual problem to solve. It's also quite a large problem to solve. What were you doing before that that led to, to, to the idea actually coming about?
1: So beforehand, I was actually running a music business, um, which, which I set up uh, a while back. And, and we were traveling the world, putting on concerts for events and my job was effectively the the tour manager i was organizing the the crew the production crew and the musicians and so whenever i gave the address um for whatever concert it was and that could have been sort of gate l42 uh, a stadium or a villa halfway up a mountain in italy uh always found that the address somehow just was never pointing to the actual right place once you put it onto a map app or use your car navigation so I sort of abandoned addresses um, and said to everyone, look, could we just try and input the GPS coordinates, like the latitude and longitude directly? And everyone was a bit like, Chris, what are these coordinates you're sending out? How do we put them in? Don't understand how to use them. Um, And so I guess it was through sort of frustrations with that. And I realised that, yes, coordinates in the London music business are not really compatible uh, that I tried to think, well, how could we make a simpler system? And I guess that's how the idea for What Three Words came about.
0: Did you know specifically at the time that you, the the, the other co-founders that you have now, did you deliberately seek out people you knew with particular competencies? Because there's four of you, right? So how did that come together as a team?
1: So um, it started I had the idea with uh, my friend Mohan who's a mathematician and we kind of had the core idea of using three words to express the coordinates for every three meter square in the world. Um, I then sort of remembered that my old friend Jack had run a translation business and and knew a lot about language and so I guess him, him I sort of actively sought out and got back in touch and said look we, I, I'm building a business that I think you might be interested in and then we needed somebody to actually build the platform uh which was was Michael who was running a development company and so that's really how we all came kind of came about and the founding team was born
0: we hear a lot about um issues in co-founder relationships particularly when two co-founders have very similar skill sets and so they either have to hire someone else um, at c-suite level or pay obviously to outsource in some capacity how important was it at the beginning to delineate who does what and whose specific expertise and did you was it easy to figure out you know you do need to have a ceo you do need to have someone sort of in charge what were those conversations like
1: so it's not something we actually thought about too hard at the time. And I think mainly because everybody's role was just so defined and obvious in that um, you know, Mohammer's mathematician. Jack had been the CEO of another company building a language uh, translation business. Um, and so everyone, I guess, we all just fell into our respective roles and no one sort of wanted to do anyone else's job. And in some cases, couldn't in terms of the more technical stuff. So um, it's just not something that I think for us, was really a problem because it was so clear that what everyone would work on and it just stuck that way really like even now there's there's um it's it's really clear what for example jack and I um will each work on
0: what are some of the challenges of having co-founders
1: in in our case i I really can't think of any challenges at all that it brought i mean i could I can definitely see how for some other businesses if you do have that overlap uh, that you mentioned. That you know, you might you might have to have conversations, and people end up giving up areas of the business that that they're passionate about. But I think in our case, it almost has been this perfect delineation where I I don't necessarily want to look after the bits that Jack does, and, and vice versa. Um, and it's just been really convenient how everything has fallen into place. And We didn't know it would be like that. Um, you know, I I knew Jack; we were old school friends, but we'd never run a business together. So I think. It was just a bit of good fortune that that, that all um, slots into place like that.
0: So you started the business in July 2013. What was happening around then in this space? Did you have competitors? Did you, uh, was there a lot of information uh, and research that was easy to do for you to, to figure out sort of what, what the initial steps were? What was happening in, in the space at the time?
1: So in terms of addresses, and it's important to clarify, you know, what through us is not making maps, we're not making navigation. Uh, we're a, we're an alternative to conventional addresses. And there had been a few attempts before to make other codes. Uh, we sort of discovered that one had been done by TomTom, Tom, which is called Map Code, Actually, quite early on in the mid-2000s, that came out, I think, but hadn't really got any uh, traction. And I think probably because it, like some of the other competitors, are... Uh, uh, codes of maybe nine or ten characters, which I think are quite hard for the average person to to use and remember and, and communicate. Um, and but we weren't actually so aware of these when we started out. What we were really thinking is, you know, what's a good alternative to latitude and longitude? But then when we learned about the competitors that either were around or had been around, they didn't seem like big threats to us because everyone we spoke to just seemed to think that three words was much easier than using one of these alternatives so um we've definitely always kept an eye on it ever since then but i think even when since when we started back then competition in that sense hasn't been something that we've had to think about so much what we're mainly focused on is what are our end users using to specify their location and that can be i don't know an inaccurate address followed by some directions followed by attaching a map um that, if you like, is more our competitor than any of the other code systems because really very few of them are used.
0: I'm interested in some of the practical steps that you took early on. I think in a lot of business podcasts, some of the more what would seem sort of rudimentary steps for you, I'd sort of tripped over. Um, how did you actually start? So, and I don't mean sort of, you know, registering on company's house and opening a bank account. I mean, more like when you sat down and said, you know, this is going to be a business, and this is now actually potentially viable. How did, did you leave your job immediately? Did you have it as a bit of a side hustle and then decide to make a jump? Did, how long did it take to assemble the team? You know, what were some of the initial practical steps that actually got you to the start line of saying, okay, okay, this is happening?
1: So when we started out, I was running my music business. And I guess the benefit of effectively running your own company then is that you can just assign more and more time to your new project, uh, which for me was what three words, without really having to ask permission. Um, and then you kind of make a call at a certain point about um, taking a jump. And actually, um, Jack, who was who is the sort of co-founder who was actually um, putting in you know a lot of his time as I was to it at, at the time, he was sort of he'd just wound down from his other business and was sort of focused on he was having his first baby um but again at least he could sort of control his own time so in that respect we didn't ever have to do that day that a lot of people have to when you make the jump out of your old job if you like and it was a slower transition and i think really it was then about um so we started early 2013 it was early 2014 when we actually hired our first people and i think that was kind of the day when i felt look if we're now hiring people this is the appropriate time for me to become properly full-time on What3Words. And luckily I had a team in the music business who were able to 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 just run that full-time and, and there was no kind of drop there. So um, it worked nicely for us. And I, I think other people have a tougher time probably having to pick that moment. But um, yeah, it was kind of when we hired the team, some funding came in and it just felt like the logical time to, to go for it.
0: We hear a lot about people being told no and having to uh, be quite robust when you when you start a business, when you're fundraising, et cetera. What was the reaction from your sort of friends and family with regards to the idea? Did you have to do a lot of explaining? Was it a good test bed? Or was everyone understanding and supportive from the beginning?
1: Um, it's interesting. I think with World Three Words, we always had this sort of quite binary response and I think it depends on people's experience with addresses so you can explain it to one family member who sort of says but what's wrong with addresses and then you know they might live at number 78 on a road next to number 76 number number 80 it's all quite easy and logical and they're sort of like what are you doing why does this need to exist but then you speak to another family member who lives somewhere where they've never had a successful delivery because the postcode takes them halfway up the the wrong road and then they go, Of course, this is this is brilliant. And they get really behind it. And um I think when you're coming up with a new idea, you you do get told no a lot or don't bother, because so many people see with something like this um how how hard it's gonna be to get network effects and enough people at a critical mass. Um and so some people will think that you won't achieve that and and a lot of people also though get behind you and think, well, actually go for it um this is so good and if you can convince a lot of people to use it then then you can make a standard so I think as long as you've got enough people who are who are behind you and you know, kind of go along with your your belief to make it happen um which was the case for us that that we felt confident enough but I think yeah a lot of self-belief is needed alongside that
0: what are some of the challenges that you've faced in the last seven or eight years
1: Well, I think a big challenge with what three words has always been, um, getting, getting enough people to use it regularly so that, um, when somebody actually wants to navigate somewhere that they have a three word address to navigate to. So it's one of those ideas that a lot of people will like when they first hear it and they might look up their, their home's three word address and then sort of get really into the concept. There's quite a leap from that to then two months later, when they're going to, I don't know, a, a wedding or something or um, somewhere they haven't been before, that they actually can use it. And what you need for that to happen is for that on that day of the wedding, for the wedding invite to say, and the car park for the guests is at these three words. So you you have to be um, prevalent enough in society like we we now are in the UK that enough of that stuff just happens organically that people will see it on the wedding invite or the the car park contact us page on the Lake District or wherever it was, or even in the case of now, like COVID testing centers, uh, you now see three-word addresses appearing in all these places. The someone who knows about what three words has the app on their phone, then goes, oh, great. Well, I'll use that because it's going to be easier and more accurate. Um, but you need to cultivate enough of those opportunities that are what three words enthusiast can actually use it you can't just be an enthusiast not something you can use on your own because you need to be shared the three words in advance um and so i think that was always our biggest challenge but then it also felt incredibly rewarding once we got to that point in the uk that we would hear stories of people booking an airbnb they'd say to the airbnb host what's the three word address they would get an answer they go great i can use it and and now we're at that level of adoption we're we're taking that into other countries to try and replicate it
0: you mentioned COVID test centres. It's very difficult to talk about running a business without referencing the last 18 months, obviously a pandemic, massive impacts on all sorts of different businesses, p- particularly hospitality, uh, fitness, travel, et cetera. Aside from the impact of just the workings of the business day-to-day and its ability to run, it also has a profound impact on ability to hire, um, how to run a company, et cetera. What have the last 18 months been like for you as the CEO of a business?
1: Well, I mean, running a startup itself is full of a whole load of ups and downs and kind of just stuff hitting you sideways. And I think COVID just has exacerbated that for everybody going, wow, I thought I had to contend with a lot of unexpected situations. And now this is this is on overdrive. Um, I, I think that, You know when it very first hit and a lot of the world was in lockdown that hit our consumer numbers purely from a point of view that people weren't navigating anywhere um at all and so um we 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 felt a loss uh, on our raw consumer numbers however that was only really at the beginning and now that the world's not so much in lockdowns and everyone's still sort of traveling when they want to travel that that actually doesn't affect us and and our user stats are way up from where they were pre covid um, I think the the bigger um, thing we have to deal with is is as a primarily global company. You know, we're not just about the UK. We're about getting what three words used in all sorts of countries is. If we can't travel there to do business and get integrations into third party products into car navigation systems, all these things, that has been a more difficult one to contend with. Because whilst Zoom um, is is sort of great on paper uh, to be able to continue those dialogues. It's not quite the same as being there in person. And especially in our case, we do a lot of work with car navigation companies. Sometimes you just want to sit in a car, play with a demo with a customer, uh, which isn't really possible over Zoom. But uh, Touchwood um recently, uh, we've now been able to travel again over the last few months, which has been great, and a lot of a lot of those discussions um have, have all picked up again. So I, I think it's been a, a bit of an odd time, but um we we got through it we we managed to do plenty remotely we built a whole lot of new product features in our app that we suddenly had bandwidth to do uh when other things weren't happening and and now we're out there in the world meeting our customers again and it's it's really exciting
0: yeah you mentioned sort of offline interaction we hear we hear a lot about social media setting unrealistic standards, you know, you only have to go on LinkedIn to see someone else has raised money, someone else has exited a business, someone else has got a new job as a CEO. Um, you know, the the other version of that, obviously, is Instagram. It's a picture-led platform in which everyone posts um, or, or a lot of people post uh, the sort of attractive uh, photo reel of their lives. In terms of the standard now and the reality for a startup founder and CEO, do you think that social media sets unrealistic standards of these overnight successes and these this sort of glamorization or romanticism of running a business? Um, and and do you do you have a good relationship with social media?
1: Um, so I think, what well three words? Does have a good relationship with social media. I mean, we kind of have two um, sets because we we have um, you know a big consumer following, and so we use um, Twitter and Instagram and other things to interact with our consumers. But we also have a really big business following um, globally from people who are interested in what we're doing we touch a lot of verticals from automotive to logistics to emergency services and all sorts and are seen as an innovative feature in all of those worlds so we kind of straddle both um, with you know different teams who who look after um, both sets of platforms um but it's also good for us in that our concept is so original that um, I feel like we don't really ever have to sort of feel like we're overworking it to sort of cut through. Normally, what we're doing, if we partner up with, um, I know one of the recent ones was Lamborghini. Um, that works really well. Um, people go, "Huh, that's interesting." I mean, yeah, they may not drive a Lamborghini, but it's great to think that what three words through Alexa, which is something that you know is a new piece of tech that everyone can access, is now available. In this particular car is just really interesting to people and they will they'll look at that and enjoy it. And similarly, we can put that out on our B2B platforms and then other car makers or voice suppliers will look at it and, and find it interesting what we're doing um, with these brands. So I, I just think it's what well, three words has always resonated well. It's always interesting and because it's normally what three words plus another company now brings a new service, and you know another one was pizza delivery with Domino's that we were doing the other day, um, it's, it, there's loads of content for us to keep pushing out. So I think here we just try not to overthink it um, and just keep collaborating with brands, and and we have really good consumer and business audiences.
0: So as a consumer-facing brand, most businesses, when they start, pick a sp- a relatively small or a primary consumer demographic and a, a geography you've picked the entire world in terms of what you're mapping right how did you know how how did you know at the beginning what social media platforms to use where to direct your money in terms of marketing and equally sort of who to build trust with in the early days because it is an incredibly broad and expansive opportunity that can is sort of exponential
1: That's a really good point. And for what three words, someone said to me the other day, they looked at our social media feed and they saw sort of someone complaining to Thames Water about a water leak and they provided a three word address. Then next up was kind of like the the latest Mercedes car had what three words and then somebody else uh, was identifying a pothole to so I think sort of Swindon Town Council and they were like my god you guys cover a lot of stuff and and we do and and basically that's the reality of our social media feed uh, and that's just in the UK once you bring in other countries um, it, it gets cut in a lot more directions and so, you know, both internally and externally people have always got views in terms of you know what through word should really focus on x and and try and push us in a particular direction and sort of over the years we've sort of followed that or, and kind of gone in a few different ways. But I think where we've come out at is what three words succeeds because it's Swindon town council on one day and it's Mercedes on the next. And it's kind of how we use addresses and postcodes and other things like that. You're using them for all of these different things. We we kind of barely think about it when in a day you could put it onto an e-commerce checkout page and then you're filling out some official form and you put it in there. That's just the reality of how you use addresses. And if you try to focus on a thing in a place, you're actually cutting out a lot of your users who go, well, I don't need to do that. And, you know, they maybe don't drive. And so then if you exclusively focus on cars, someone who doesn't drive just goes, well, I don't need this. So for us, um, as much as it's it's against a lot of the startup best practice uh, kind of stuff out there, I do think for a global address system you can't focus in that way and as an internal thing in the company we've just understood that for us no being broad is the focus and and sticking with that
0: is the sheer size of the opportunity ever overwhelming you know when you talk about sort of the breadth of how people would interact with the product you know, it's, it's endless. Is that ever, is it ever difficult to focus as a CEO when your sort of brief is to not focus on one specific, uh, one specific cohort?
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of an extension of what we we're just saying on social media is where do we point the team that we have? You know, you've only got so many team members and just conversations like which country, And, um, there are, you know, if you break the world up, you can probably crudely put into some buckets where some countries have what you could might call good address systems where most addresses are recognized. Um, and then you've got countries where far fewer addresses are recognized. Um, and sometimes you can think, well, let's focus on the one, you know, where the address system is not so developed. It can on paper look like the bigger opportunity, but then you might have. For example, just less people might use smartphones for navigation, which um, then is is trickier for us because we we want to be used on a, on a smartphone. And if people are just um, driving without one, then they're not going to get the benefits of one three words. And then you might have things like, well, right heading apps are used less or more in different countries or different parts of countries. So there's there's very rarely just one standout kind of. Country type, or geo, or demographic that we go after. Um, what we do do is we've identified about six or seven countries that are our focus at the moment. And for a team of 152 people that we are now, that's a good number that we can spread the team across all of them. And different case studies that we get from different countries work in other countries, so it's it's good to have some cross pollination there, so that people understand because a lot of the businesses we deal with will be working in various countries, not just one. So, you have to strike this happy medium. We don't go after the whole world because then we would never, we would never get any network effect or, or any kind of momentum. But by by splitting across six or seven countries, we do manage to um, succeed and, and get that kind of awareness that we now have in the UK, in some, in some other countries.
0: In terms of advice during your career, and obviously this last several years running this business. Have you had mentors? Have you had people who you've um gone to for specific advice or kind of captains of other industries? And if so, how have you how have you found them?
1: I I think it's one of those things that people will often be the the mentor to you on a specific day in a specific kind of place with a question that was on your mind. And they may not know it because you could just be sitting next to somebody at dinner. And they say, you know, this is what happened to us. I could actually an example was just when I was kind of thinking about the company size, and you know, we're getting big, are we getting too big? And then somebody else just sits there and says, well, actually, once you cross uh, 150 people or 200, I think there's different views on it. um, you, You stop knowing everybody in the company's name, and they'll talk to you on how that felt at the time. And it can just be that something as simple as that at a dinner might make you feel better about feeling a little bit overwhelmed about the size of the company you're building um and and how they frame it and you and you can then sort of go great i'm not the only one in this situation other people have gone through this process where you suddenly feel like the company is a little less personal than it used to be when you were small and 30 people and then similarly you know we we um we have a, a chairman who comes from a totally different business to us and nothing to do with geolocation but in terms of um building a company of people and how to motivate people so many of his stories and anecdotes are transferable to us um and i don't think you necessarily need a mentor from your own space or vertical a lot of it's just about building companies and, and companies is about people so um and it'll get it'll be little things that that he has has kind of talked to me about and you know they they started international offices in two countries and what does that feel like and 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 those bits. So it's I find the whole thing is is um, much more organic just through the conversations you have rather than if I think trying to over engineer a, a mentor relationship hasn't ever really sort of worked out in that way for me. But having a few people that you as long as you're receptive uh, as the founder and with your ears open, um, you'll probably get the benefit of that just by talking to the people you talk to
0: yeah i think it's really good advice there's a lot of focus on this idea of like having these hardcore mentors who sort of fix all your problems and help with all this stuff but the reality is is not only would you outgrow them but also you know as you say it's a uh, very specific moments where you need certain advice and and that that can be a very specific person rather than a kind of ongoing relationship
1: yeah and i think also if you have if you frame it like a mentor you can then feel compelled to do what they say about a specific thing at the end of the day you take all the advice you want um you have to make the call because you have way more info than anybody you're asking advice from and so if you if you kind of tell yourself that this person's your mentor you might do what they suggest and it might not be the right thing so i think just pinch of salt and and having a lot of people and then also not being afraid to just not do what that person said and being cool with that and then being cool with that is is important.
0: So for lots of startups, raising capital is an integral part of how they grow and scale their business. You guys have raised $46.9 million in your funding. Can you tell me a bit more about the process of identifying when and where you needed capital and then thinking about where you actually get it from? Because I think there's a lot to be said for early investors, you know, following their money, wanting to reinvest and continue on the journey with you. How far ahead do you need to be planning when you do your first raise to protect yourselves as founders in a business? If you could just talk a bit more about sort of the process of, the, of fundraising.
1: Sure. I mean, when I came into this business, I'd never fundraised for my previous company. It was always just kind of, it was a bit more straightforward. Um We were a music business that, that, um, that made revenue almost immediately since we started. Um so we walked through as I kind of had to figure it out. Um as as we went, you learn all the terminology and you learn what's normal and what's not. And uh, I'd also say that from talking to others, there isn't really a simple playbook as much as the press might have you believe everything sort of compartmentalized into these rounds and um and it's all very straightforward. Just nothing ever is that simple every company gives away different rights to investors every company does things in different times um has more predictable and less predictable um sort of pathways to their next round and so i think for us um we have taken funding from a variety of sources but also for what three words it kind of plays into the fact that we are so different And therefore, sometimes we have financial investors, sometimes we get strategics, but those strategics can be from the automotive industry, uh, like we have Mercedes, we have Subaru, uh, from the logistics world, where we have Deutsche Bahn, who operates a big trucking business in Germany, we have Aramex, a big uh, logistics firm in the Middle East. And I, I think for us, we just, when actually having a variety of these investors from different sectors is the best option for us, because if they, for a start, they give you credibility. If you take strategic investors who are big known brands, they give you credibility, which is probably the one thing as a startup you need. And on the other side, you know, for, from their point of view, um, you know, we give them the innovation aspect of that. And also for us, it was really important to, to be global. Um, so we specifically were not fussed about our investors coming from the UK. In fact, we thought it was probably a bonus if they didn't so that we, we were really clearly global from day one. Also, I guess, you know, you'll you'll meet these guys along the story and if they want to invest in you, it's often they want to invest then and there, or at least, you know, not wait too long because the momentum is there and you kinda of wanna seize the moment. So then you often think, well, do we do this as part of the current round or do we do we do a one before our next? And you, you just gotta make decisions about how how you're gonna take these people in or or not. But um I, I think for for other founders just not being intimidated by this kind of notion of the playbook that you might read online. And especially now in 2021, there's so many other ways you can do it. Like crowdfunding is a lot more popular than it ever has been. There's a lot of ways to sort of syndicate investments. If you want to take people from a certain geo or something into, into a certain round. I like the fact that by virtue of doing that, it opens up for a lot more people who didn't have the kinds of capital that would traditionally be needed to invest you can now find a way to take that in from more people. Um, a lot more companies have strategic investment arms on the side that do early stage investments into companies. Um, so you might find that one of your smaller target customers now has a small fund where you can even get ten twenty five thousand dollars on day one, just as part of part of a round to get you going. But you get the benefit of that name on your cap table. So I think just just understanding as the founder, like you're you're in control. You can decide. Don't worry too hard about what it. Sort of looks like to the outside world because everything now is is a little bit more flexible than it used to be, um, and just to embrace that uh, and do what you want to do, and you'll probably be happier as a result, rather than trying to fit your funding cycle to what you think is is how the world used to be and you should be. I, I don't really subscribe to that anymore.
0: What are some mm. of the most valuable investments that you've made in the business, and, and if relevant, where do you think that you've wasted money?
1: The, the biggest investment we've really made is in formulating the team into the, the machine that it now is. And for us to have sort of figured out the parts of the business that deal with consumer, the parts that deal with B2B, and having worked out how to split that across countries. And it took us a few years to figure that out, because there were, at some points in time, we did focus much more on certain places. And when we're small, if we wanted to focus on a particular country for a while, that took so much of the business's resource. You have this opposite effect, which is we're well, going to do more in this country, you're going to do less in this country. That's much less intense now um, because if we want to upweight somewhere, it doesn't disrupt the rest of the company. But I think just we always put money in people. Let's say much more than consumer advertising in the early days. So we always knew we could go out and advertise to consumers, but if you've got you know, less less funds to do it, you're going to burn through that money quickly. And if you, unless your product's in absolutely tip-top condition, you might lose those customers. So we resisted doing consumer advertising in our early days. We invested really heavily in our team and just got product feedback. We got some B2B integrations. Um, and then once we felt things were in a really good place with the product, then we started investing heavily into consumer, so TV advertising, things like that so that once those consumers came in, we were pretty confident we would hang on to them because everything was in good condition. So it, it may not be the same for every company. There's and we're slightly uh, different in that we sort of do B2C, B2B, B2B to C and all these different things. So many other companies might be a bit more constrained, but for us, not going too big on consumer marketing too early was was an important part in our in our um, history, which now means the team is architected pretty well.
0: What's the best piece of advice that you've ever been given about running a business?
1: I know, I'd probably go back to when I did my first entrepreneurial venture, which was putting on a classical music concert in an old farm barn that my dad sort of had encouraged me to do. He didn't like sort of buildings sitting empty, and um, and when I when I put on the concert um, you know, it wasn't going to be a hugely profitable venture. I remember really deliberating over which of the rented in toilets companies I was going to use. And my dad gave me one really good piece of advice, which he said, go, go big in terms of the quality of the toilets company you use, because if people are sort of well looked after and stuff, uh, and stuff like that, they will come back. And he said, yeah, don't, don't obsess over uh, the fact if it's going to, uh, be a bit pricey for this one. Um, it's it's things like that which will cement your reputation in people's minds, and um, and he was right. Like, I remember we we literally hired this sort of deluxe toilet company off the back of that advice, and um, even now I have friends who sort of came back when that was like something like two thousand and three. And they like, God, yeah, they, they were nice toilets uh, that you hide in that day. And um, it's a sort of uh, odd anecdote, but people just know that I think the kind of analogy extends that behind the scenes, whenever I'm doing something or building a product, they kind of know that um, everything will be polished about how it all works at the back end because we don't cut corners. Um we look after people um as as our customers and funnily enough it, it was just an ethos that stayed with me all the way through the music business all the way through what three words um we don't really like cutting corners we do a good job um and i think um certainly the the people in our team here there's many ways that they'll see that kind of mentality in, in what we do at what three words
0: do you ever take time to enjoy the successes are you good at doing that personally and professionally or is it sort of just a relentless pursuit. I think you've
1: got to take time to um, to enjoy things. And it is really hard, especially if you've got this big looming task of something like become a global standard. Sometimes whatever the success is, you can always be a bit like, God, but it's not enough because we're not a global standard yet. Um, and um, But you sort of learn to give yourself a break a bit and just go, look, as a team, we've achieved this important stepping stone. And once I guess you learn how big those stepping stones are, because then it doesn't always have to be the kind of headline grabbing thing that you know your social media followers might um might gravitate towards it can be some kind of product enhancement uh or or something a bit more behind the scenes that as a company you celebrate because you know for you guys um that was an important moment it, you know the the outside world may not have realized its significance for us but it was great and and you know we we do it and and recommend to the company like there's a lot of people going zoom free fridays or or whatever it is or they just put in two hours to go and think and that's not um frowned on that sort of is a good thing because unless you have that thinking time you're only going to do what you did yesterday or last week you'll never break the cycle if you just have a nine to five crammed full of meetings and calls so anybody here um we think is a good thing if they put in a bit of thinking time because it means they might do something differently next week which is probably a good thing
0: yeah and it's a really big part of helping company culture evolve right as you grow and as you get more people and and as the world changes what have you found to be the biggest myth or assumption about running a business and has it stacked up
1: I I don't know. I mean, I guess one of the things, like obviously, when you think about running a business, you think, oh, you know, I'll be free from corporate life and I can do what I want. Um, And it suddenly struck me a while ago that a lot of people I knew had lived in different countries um, and really enjoyed that as part of their working life. And I suddenly realized I'd never done it. Um, because I'd always run my own businesses right from the age of 21 or 22, I'd started my own company. And on paper, while you sort of feel like you have all this freedom, actually the business ties you to, to where you are because you've got the team, you've got your clients and the ability to move to Denmark for two years doesn't really actually come to fruition. Um, and bizarrely in that kind of corporate life that in so many ways feels a bit constraining, you can actually move around um, without a care in the world, certainly professionally, because you can just, you know, stop somewhere and start up somewhere new. So I feel like that's just something that I never kind of noticed it on a day because you still feel technically, or certainly I used to, uh, when I was running the music business, or, you know, I, I could do anything, but then never did because everything was, was here in London and the relentless pursuit of just keeping everything running every day was, was too great. And similarly with what three words, um, as soon as we had team here, I've been routed to to the UK. And so I guess that was something for me that I just guess I never thought uh, through properly, because probably in my life, I would have liked to have gone and lived somewhere else. But on the flip side, I've at least managed to travel very extensively um, at Watthree Words and before as well. So um, I certainly haven't missed out um, and had plenty of opportunities, uh, which I'm really grateful for. But I think somehow that kind of illusion that you know you you have all this flexibility when you're when you're running a company and and similarly when you get to 150 people um you know you, you end up delegating a lot of decision making and I think that's a very good thing to your management team um but the and so you have to the notion of flexibility changes quite a bit uh once your team gets over a certain size but but yeah I mean other than that I don't know. I think it's sort of been what I expected running a business. Um, I, I think, yes, a bit back to your earlier question, the successes are always maybe a bit briefer than I thought. Uh, Sometimes you think, uh, you know, probably people enjoy that for two weeks or a month or something. If some amazing thing happens, but actually looking at other founders, they've always got the next big thing to head into. And so I guess you just got to grab those moments when you can, but um, it all feels worth it in the end.
0: How do you keep learning? Do you, do you travel and meet new people? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you read a lot? What's your process for, for making sure that you're continuing to learn?
1: It's a bit of a blend and I'm somebody who's a bit kind of impulsive as sometimes I'll sort of get into reading for about three weeks and then I won't do any for a while. Uh, in some ways I wish I I had a bit more discipline to do an assortment of all of those things. Um, but as as someone who can be a bit of an obsessive about a particular thing, that's just the way my brain works and I'll get into reading and, and crack through a whole load of books and then, and then sort of, um, other ones that people recommend and do it. And then I'll just lose the appetite for it for a bit. And I think I'm okay with that. It's as part of the fact that what three words requires so much travel, um, part of that's the getting there and meeting the new people in the new country but then the downtime you have actually is is a nice way to then do the podcast or read the book um, which may not be until related to that country but it just gave you a bit of headspace to to do those things so when I'm traveling I feel like I win twice one one I get to travel and two I get I get the downtime to um, to do all these other bits.
0: Productivity can be challenging especially for uh, for someone running a business we're all expected to be maximalists now with um you know rippling abs and lots of employees and making loads of money and having perfect interiors and drinking the right oat milk substitute there's a lot of pressure now particularly through social media about being productive and doing more if you had an extra hour in the day what would you use it for
1: probably a bit of a combination of yeah I, I might play squash a bit more which is uh something i was doing and and have done a bit less of recently um so yeah a bit of that uh might read a bit more that's, that's something which just easily gets pushed out of the day um and also might take a bit more time in the middle of the day for something if not just a, a break because i feel like any time i get a bit of a rest i come back and think better um so something just to break up the day a bit but um probably a bit a bit of everything i i like variety
0: tell me what's next what can we expect to see in the next year or so from the business
1: what three words is this great inflection point now where the uk feels like what three words is really well known it's used for all sorts of things delivery um car navigation emergency services finding lake district car parks um wedding invitations, candor invites, pretty much everything you could think about, even booking taxis. Um, and it's all about us taking that into a series of other countries. And that includes uh, Japan, Korea, India, USA, Germany, um, lots of places. And it's always a bit harder when you're outside your home market, just everything's a bit more bit more complicated. But um, I think what people will recognizes the fact that what three words feels more like a global business than a UK business. And that might be then encountering us in integrations you weren't expecting, um, which might be apps that, that straddle many countries, less UK specific stuff. Um, that's probably the big tangible change. Um, and for the company, you know, we need to, we need to be good at executing in other countries. We need to be fast. Um, and, and to be able to juggle all of those at once. Um, but I think from, from it from everyone else's point of view, hopefully just the, the trust that what three words exude should should grow and everyone should feel this is a very credible business. Um and and really just feeling it's clearly on a path to becoming a global standard. So if if people feel that, then we're we're kind of succeeding.
0: Chris, thanks so much for taking the time to chat to me today. It is it is a mind-blowing business. It's extraordinary what you've achieved and what there still is yet to be achieved and i've absolutely no doubt that you'll do it and we'll continue to see what three words absolutely everywhere so thank you for taking time out of your your busy schedule it's nearly christmas uh it's, it's the end of the week and it's an hour so i really appreciate appreciate your time and i've no doubt that lots of people will be uh, hugely excited to hear more about specifically what three words but also your business journey so thank you for sharing that with me
1: total pleasure emily thank you for having me